Good evening and welcome to the Alex Samu I Am Repeated podcast. If you have yet to subscribe to our YouTube channel, please do so now. We are also now on Google, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. So tonight we have with us Dr. Rebecca Griffith, also known as the EDDPT. Welcome to our show, Rebecca. Thank you. I'm so happy to be with you. Yes, welcome, welcome. Thank you very much for taking the time out uh, to be with us. We were just chatting uh, prior to coming on live. How obviously you're in Denver, so the time zones and the different responsibilities of, of being a parent around this time of the day. Uh, so definitely, thank you very much for for uh, joining us this evening. You bet. I took my kids to the zoo today. I was telling Mo that I I've kind of I've filled my kid bank for the day, and they can have some dad time now, and we can have a nice conversation. Awesome, awesome. Definitely looking forward to it. So the emergency department or the ER, as many of us know it, is not a place where you usually find a physical therapist or any other allied health um, profession. Yes, you find the nurses, uh, you find some orderlies, but it's usually high intensive activities, trauma that most people are dealing with, complex medical conditions. So can you share with us what role does a physical therapist have in the emergency room? Well, I think first that that conception or the conceptual idea of like what is happening in the emergency department is is really not what you're talking about, right? Like not everything that comes into the emergency department is this fast-paced trauma that you're seeing on Gray's Anatomy or and it's not necessarily always complex medical conditions. It, it's anything from like an ingrown toenail to it's too cold outside to um, having a heart attack or, you know, just been in a roller car accident. So really, if everything that was in the emergency department was truly like a life-threatening emergency, there probably wouldn't be a role for some of the allied healthcare professionals that are in the emergency department. But due to a number of factors, not least of which social determinants of health and healthcare access, the emergency department is being utilized more and more for primary care, for safety net care, um, really because it's open. I mean, some people, as you know, like if, if you and I are both working all day at the end of the day, if, you, if there's nowhere open for you to go, you're going to go to the emergency department. So there are, because of those changing demands, actually a lot of allied healthcare professionals in the emergency department now, including behavioral health providers, physical therapists, occupational therapists, in some cases, cases, speech language pathologists, you're going to see social workers, nurse case, case managers, pharmacists. I mean, really, there's a whole gamut of people there making the emergency department run. Okay. Does that necessarily, since there are more disciplines in the emergency department, is that going to streamline um, the care that the patient is receiving and eliminate having to occupy beds for admission and be able to delegate, okay, this person has been triaged and they are now safe to go to maybe a skilled nursing facility or subacute rehab or home health. So there are so many research-based benefits of having an emergency department physical therapist, and some of them do include reducing unnecessary hospital admissions. So one of the ways that we do that is by 
making recommendations, like you said, for an appropriate discharge plan, whether that's home with home therapy, whether that's home with outpatient therapy, whether that's referral to a skilled nursing facility or an acute rehab facility, and sometimes admission to the hospital, we're there to help with those discharge planning needs. Some ways that we can reduce hospital admissions include prescribing appropriate durable medical equipment. Because if you, if you came in and you weren't able to walk, maybe if we are able to provide you appropriate training with, say, a walker or a cane or something similar to help you reduce your pain and improve your function, we're going to be able to get you back home instead of keep you in the hospital. So that can make a big difference. Like one example I can think of is a patient who has fallen and has an ankle fracture and a wrist fracture. We've all seen those patients, right, that fell off the stairs or they fell while they were gardening. And that patient now can't wait there in the ankle. They can't wait there in the wrist. You can't really put them on crutches, right? But what are we going to do? Keep them in the hospital for an indeterminate amount of time? No, you know, I'm going to order a platform walker. I'm going to show them how to use it. I'm going to make sure if they need one for long distances, they have a wheelchair to go home with and that they have appropriate home support and follow up. Whereas before, a patient like that might have had to be admitted to the hospital for any of those services to occur. And that in this day's healthcare system really is an inappropriate use of resources. Now, how did this program come to be? You know, as Mo mentioned, we're not typically known to be or found uh, in, in, in your hospital's emergency department. So can, can you give us a little bit of the backstory as to how came uh, the PT in, in your particular emergency department? Sure. And so one of the, uh, another misconception about emergency department physical therapy is that it's new and it's, it's really not. There have been professionals in this area for over 20 years and there are probably close to a hundred EDPT programs that we know of across the United States, which sounds kind of like a lot, but when you think about it, that's like maybe two per state. So it's, it's not that it's new. It's that it's, um, not well known, I guess, and not really considered a standard of care. So in our emergency department, we started our program, our initial program about six years ago. And partly the way that that started would, was that we would have, every PT has their own caseload in acute care. You know, you're on the ICU or you're on the ortho floor, but we would have every once in a while, somebody from the emergency department call and say, Hey, like, we can't quite discharge this person, but we're a little on the fence about whether we should admit them. And so somebody would carry a pager and that person would then respond to the emergency department, take care of whatever the situation was, and then go back to their regular job. The problem was some days that was no pages and other days it was like seven or eight pages, which then meant you might be abandoning your caseload upstairs in favor of patients who were discharge pending or really needed to leave the hospital a little bit quicker than say your patients in the ICU. But as we know, early mobility is critical. So we might be doing a disservice to those patients. So as part of my job as a physical therapist specialist within our clinical ladder system, I took a look at a pilot at creating a pilot program in the emergency department with an amazing team of physical therapists and one of them will be featured on my podcast this week so you can hear a little bit more from her about how we got that program started but uh, we did a 30-day pilot program and the only outcome measures we were really looking at at that time were around feasibility 
So were we hitting our productivity? Because obviously that's always a concern in the physical therapy world, whether it should be or not, is a whole different podcast. We were looking at, were the providers in the emergency department satisfied with having us there? Was it was it um, useful to them or was it kind of a detriment? We looked at whether the PTs who were working there were satisfied with what they were doing. And so those were the main things we looked at. We also looked at things like throughput time, different diagnoses, follow-up, bounce back, things like that. But of those initial measures, after that 30 days, it was clear we were meeting our productivity. If we didn't have patients, we were going upstairs to help our colleagues instead of vice versa. And we found with a provider satisfaction survey that 92% of the providers, so that included attendings, residents, nurse practitioners, physician assistants, social workers, case managers, 92% said that having a physical therapist in the emergency department helped improve the quality of care that they were able to provide for their patients. They strongly agreed. So 92% strongly agreed. 8% agreed. That is the only survey I've ever seen in my life where nobody said neutral, disagree, or strongly disagree. So it was clear we were making an impact. The comments that were on the survey were like, PTs are worth their weight in gold. Your diagnostic skills are astonishing. The benefits that you're providing are outstanding and, and we can't go back. So this needs to be permanent. So we've been in the emergency department ever since. And we just actually finished a new pilot program in the kind of super track or fast track area of our emergency department, which runs more like patients who should have gone to urgent care. And what that pilot program was looking at was if, if the patient comes directly from triage and there's a decision made that this patient, do they need to see a nurse practitioner or physician assistant, or should they see the physical therapist instead or together? And so we've been looking at taking that direct musculoskeletal triage off the plates of other providers and just being the primary providers for those diagnoses in the emergency department. And that's been very successful. Our key measure there that I'm most proud of is our patient satisfaction scores, which out of hundreds of patients, our patient satisfaction scores were like 4.89 out of five. So it was, it really made a difference. I, I think you can think like the last time you went to the emergency department, like were you feeling super satisfied when you left? It's a hard place to get high patient satisfaction ranks. Especially That's in the uh, last couple of years with COVID and, and, yes. and things of that nature. Uh, I was about to ask that question based on COVID. You know, the past two years, emergency rooms were packed with patients coming in with uh, COVID. Yeah. So what role would physical therapists have to play then? Because cases were pretty much prioritized with people infected with COVID. So if primarily the focus was uh, treating patients with musculoskeletal problems, um, this was a cardiopulmonary respiratory right. disorder. So were you guys effective during that period or were you utilized during that period? Well, I'll tell you, it was, there were different cycles, right? Like initially when everything started and nobody knew anything, we kind of backed out a little bit because they didn't want to add us as like a vector that was like being exposed to the, these patients in the emergency department and then going to other areas of the hospital. So we were still there if necessary, but we weren't like based down there because we were trying to minimize the number of personnel that were being exposed to COVID, right? Because you wanted to have, keep your staff healthy. But then as things progressed, 
we had waves where we would get a ton of musculoskeletal patients coming in or patients that had delayed care and that needed to come in. But then during some of our biggest surges, we worked in different capacities. So because if you think about it, physical therapists are pinch hitters in an emergency. So we know every floor in the hospital. We're oriented to every unit. We understand how everything works. We know where all the equipment is. We can take and interpret vital signs. We can assess mobility. We can tell you if somebody's sick and deteriorating, and we can help you make a discharge recommendation for those patients. So we just took on different roles. We also know how to mobilize patients, right? So one night, my job was to help in any way I could. And there were patients lining the hallway. Some of them had been waiting for six, eight hours. Some of them were just on oxygen tanks lying on the floor. When the ambulances came in, I would help get the patients off the gurney from the ambulance and into a chair to wait because they're just, there were no rooms. And then I would stand at one end and I would take vital signs and go all the way down and all the way back up the hall. And I would just, by the time I got done, it was time to start over again. And I would use my triage skills. So the last time I checked you, your fever was 102. Now it's 105. I'm going to let the nurse know and we're going to make some decisions about that. Your blood pressure is 70 over 30. And you look real bad. I'm going to get you moved up in the line. Or your oxygen tank is empty and you're desatting. How can I manage that? So we were still what I would call emergency physical therapists. Using our skill set as doctors of physical therapy. Just in the most out of the box way you could think of if that makes sense uh it certainly um does um so since this pilot program seems to be working Mm -hmm. do you think that creates a need for the potential of physical therapists being used at urgent care ambulatory centers across the country I absolutely do. So one of the the goals that I have as within the the business aspect of the EDDPT is to make physical therapists practice in the emergency department well-known and well-practiced. And that includes urgent care settings because people are going there for urgent and emergent care. And there are so many patients going to those places with vertigo, with falls-related injuries, with musculoskeletal pain. I think the average number of patients that our emergency department sees per day with back pain is like eight per shift which is like 24 patients per day. So even if we just saw patients with back pain, that's enough to employ multiple physical therapists, right? So does every one of those patients need to be seen? No, but when we think about like fear avoidance behaviors, when we think about utilization of healthcare dollars, like who is the right professional to put in these situations? Who's the right person to help decide if a patient needs imaging? Who is the right professional to help decide if that patient is appropriate for PT? Who's the right person to empower that patient to go home and start taking care of their injury themselves? And I think the answer to that is the physical therapist because of our broad skill set, whether it's mobility, whether it's musculoskeletal pain, whether it's vertigo, whether it's a neuromuscular disorder that's in an exacerbation, we have the skill set to address those issues. And I think in a primary care team-based setting, like in an urgent care, we can, with our powers combined, we can really make a big difference. Now, as part of your program, what, how, how many therapists are in the emergency room at any given time? 
So I think that varies from hospital to hospital, depending on how many beds they have and like how they staff, whether their staffing is an on-call model or a uh, full-time model. Our model is full-time. So we have one PT managing the main emergency department seven days a week. And then with our new pilot program, we have a second PT managing that super track area five days a week. So the goal is to expand all of that. And honestly, I really think that we need to, as physical therapists, this might be my unpopular hot take, need to stop only treating patients during business hours, during banker's hours, because patients need access to care. So when we say we only do this five days a week, we don't do this on weekends. In the emergency department, every day is is a working day. Like there's no difference between Monday and Saturday, except maybe in patient volumes. So I think that's one way that we've been different than other professionals. Like, you know, we don't stay super late and we're not there on weekends. You know, we always have somebody, but we don't staff it like we do the rest of the time on weekends and holidays. And I think that's true for so many different um, patient care settings in the physical therapist world. I mean, we are a healthcare providing service and we need to be a little bit more inclusive with the hours that we provide service so that we can make sure we're seeing the patients that need us. So are the people that work those shifts, because obviously you mentioned it's covered seven days a week, mm-hmm. that like rotating for tens or what's the, the general, I guess, uh, structure for that? Yeah, so um, different PT programs in the emergency department do things different ways. So I don't want to make it seem like the way that we do things is the only way to do things. Some programs staff 11 to 7, some programs staff 10 to 10, some work 312, some work 410s. The way we do it is we kind of rotate staff so that nobody's getting burnt out. So you might only, if you work full time, you probably only work in the emergency department one day a week because it can be stressful and it can take a toll on people. So we try to kind of have everybody has a designated day. I only primarily practice in the emergency department because I work part-time. So it just depends on who you are. So I work 10 hour days. Some of my other colleagues work 10 hour days, but some work eight hour days. So it's a little bit staggered, but I think the right answer is to look at your, your hospital's arrival curves for the patients with the common diagnoses that you'll be seeing and do what you can to staff those times with the most coverage that you can. Because it does no one any good if you're there at seven o'clock in the morning and you don't typically get patients till 11. Um, I definitely know as home health therapists, but if we go see a patient and the vital signs are awful. We detect um, any possible infection or UTI. We definitely would send to the emergency room. So if it's something that we can't technically handle in the home, but the patient doesn't really need to be admitted or just kept for observation for you know 24 to 48 hours, I can definitely see how they could be utilized that way so they could continue the mobility while being on observation. So that's pretty important. And I'm glad that it's being done because mm-hmm. I do think we are underutilized in certain settings. Um, but it's because of the unknown that other disciplines don't truly really know what we are educated on while we're in uh, PT school. And they also don't know that some of us have specialized certifications to treat certain conditions. 
I just actually had a conversation with an attending physician about that. And, and I said, well, you know, some therapists aren't co comfortable covering here because of the orthopedic conditions that are, that present to the emergency department. So some of our like critical care, physical therapists, it's been a hot minute since they've treated somebody with low back pain and it's not really where their passion lies. So if I'm calling them and I'm like, Hey, I need some help. I, you know, they may not be comfortable with that. And I made that comment and the physician said, I'm sorry. Um, I was under the impression that all physical therapy was musculoskeletal. And so we had this conversation about that, that physical therapists sort of define themselves by practice location, which I find to be a little odd, even, <laughs> even though my brand is the EDDPT, right? Like, so I'm totally like focused on that, but practice location, you're an inpatient therapist, you're an outpatient therapist, you're a home health therapist, you're a school-based therapist, but we also have board certifications within that. And he just had no idea. And another physician said, how did, how come I had to learn that you were a doctor on Twitter? I was like, well, that is interesting. Let's have a conversation about that. Like, this is the education that we go through. Every physical therapist that works here is a doctor of physical therapy, you know, and this is, this is what we learn. And so I now have physicians um, actually introduce me. This is Dr. Griffith. She's going to be working with you. The doctor of physical therapy will see you next. And I think it does help manage patient expectations as well, particularly when that patient gets triaged directly to us. So, because I, I think there's this perception sometimes that, people come to the emergency department and they say, I never even saw a doctor, but at least this way that, you know, there's that expectation like that you did see a doctor of physical therapy. You saw a physician, you saw a doctor of physical therapy, you saw a, a nurse practitioner, you know, being clear about who we are and the skill set that we have. And I think that's helpful, um, but it is helpful to take that time to educate the staff in the emergency department about what your scope is as well. So when I make recommendations about imaging, physical therapists can order imaging in Colorado. So we're qualified to do that. We're able to do that. It's within our scope of practice. And so when I make those recommendations, they are taken quite seriously um, based on the fact that they know it's in our scope and they know their experience with me and that I'm not going to recommend something I don't really think the patient needs. Okay. Is there any specialized certification for a physical therapist to work in the emergency room? Not yet. Not yet. I mean, I think that would be ideal someday to have that. Um, but right now that doesn't really exist. So on our staff, we have PTs who are orthopedic clinical specialists. I'm a neurologic clinical specialist in an uh, orthopedic manual physical therapy fellowship program. Um, we have CCSs working there, you know, so we have a, a wide variety of, of people working in the emergency department. So while there isn't a specialty certification needed, what I'd say is needed is confidence in your ability to practice at the top of your scope. Okay. That could like mean several things to people. Right. Well, and in that sense, it's very similar to what being a home health clinician is because yes. to, to a certain extent, you're, you're kind of on your own isolated where I would in the ER, you're not necessarily alone, but with so many different things going on at the same time, you're in essence in your own little bubble at that particular moment, trying to figure out, you know, what needs to happen and who needs to go where and kind of manage the case at that point. Um, so it definitely feels like there's some crossover uh, between home health and, and practicing in the emergency department. 
Well, I think you're absolutely right. And I would consider PTs who practice in the home health environment to be a type of emergency physical therapist. So there are many types of emergency physical therapists, and we can talk about that a little bit if you want to, outside of just the emergency department. But I think of home health physical therapists, sometimes you guys are the first responders, right? EDPTs, we're the first receivers. We're getting those patients, we're receiving them after somebody else has responded externally. But you guys could potentially be that first responder. And I, I just did an interview with uh, Dr. B, the PT, about what your home health physical therapist wants the EDPT to know. And that was so eye-opening to me to learn like the triage skills you need to have, the differential diagnosis skills, and that like quick decision-making. I know I can make quick decisions in the emergency department. I need to be decisive, but I also know I have a huge team backing me up. So if I'm wrong or something goes badly or that patient stands up and collapses or I need to call a stroke alert, like there's this huge team and like infinite resources like at our fingertips. Whereas you guys are like the MacGyvers of the emergency PTs out in the field trying to figure out what to do with what you have where you are. Uh, definitely, definitely. Um, but it's it's rewarding. Um with some challenges as as well. Um, now, there's been a cry about burnout by a lot of mm. new grads and even seasoned PTs. Yeah. And you mentioned earlier that being in the emergency department is already stressful within itself. Yeah. So is this something we should be encouraging folks to get into? I think it depends on the person, right? Like, I love it, but I kind of have that squirrel personality where I'm like, like, let's move, let's do this, what's next? I love the unpredictability of it. So for me, working in an outpatient clinic and like looking at my schedule in the morning and seeing shoulder pain, shoulder pain, hip pain, back pain, knee pain, like to me, that gets very routine, very fast. And, and I felt some burnout in that kind of situation. But walking into the emergency department every day and not having no idea what's going to come at me next is exciting to me. I love like not knowing what's going to happen. I love needing to use my brain. I love knowing that the emergency isn't passed. I love knowing that the puzzle pieces aren't all figured out and that I need to help figure that out. I love the camaraderie. I love the support in that environment. I've never worked in another environment where the team that I work with is so supportive, where I can say, hey, Dr. Smith, I think this, 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 and this. And they say, great, let's take a look at that, 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 and that. And, and that your opinion is so well respected and regarded as a consulting service. So I love all of those pieces. But some of the more stressful parts are, like if you don't have your time management game, like, on track, it can be stressful. You you can leave late. You It's hard to make plans after work. You have to get your work done. You never know when your last patient's going to show up. So that's stressful. If, if you're recommending placement, that note has to be done like that. If you need equipment, that note has to be done like that. If you have a patient who's agitated or intoxicated or has a mental health emergency or is violent, like those are things that are stressful to people. If knowing that your decision is going to make or break whether this patient leaves and there's uncertainty around that because there's this whole concept of what's good enough to go home, if that's going to keep you up at night, it is not for you. You know, there are so many pieces of it that can be stressful to people unless it really is the thing that kind of excites you and continues to challenge you. So I think those are, are pieces that can lead to some people feeling a little bit stressed out. Also, 
some of the things that we see are hard to see. I have things from COVID that I won't ever unsee that I will carry with me. Um, you know, blue feet as people are being intubated and hearing people struggle to breathe and, and watching people on BiPAP while they're preparing to intubate them or, you know, having people die in the emergency department or the stories patients carry with them, like the trauma of the patients that are coming in, both psychological and physical, you know, it's, it's a lot and it can be hard to carry. So I think if you're working in this or really any setting, I'd highly recommend you find a way to debrief with your colleagues about what you're experiencing and how a particular case impacted you. For me, I, I really take a moment to try and like seal my practice with that patient when that patient leaves or when I'm finished with them, like I just mentally kind of bow my head and, and complete that interaction and then imagine the happily ever after for them. And that's how I, I manage that. Um, some patients, I look up their outcomes later to make sure that I've learned from that experience, that I didn't miss something, that they didn't come back because of a decision that I made. But it's also good to just have somebody to talk to about what you're experiencing. Hmm. So I don't know if that uh, answered that question. No, it did. Um, I was going to ask you because in certain cities, um, I know definitely District Columbia for one, when it gets cold, like during the mm -hmm. fall and winter time, yes. the emergency room is usually a shelter for most people. Mm -hmm. And I know the, well, the workers who work in the emergency room know that. So focusing on like social determinants of health, mm -hmm. um, how can a physical therapist contribute into streamlining uh discharge planning because yeah. they can't go home per se but to help to facilitate the reoccurrence of them coming back to the emergency room so i think the number one thing that we do is ask the right questions and listen for the answers because oftentimes patients or providers will say well they, we just need to make sure that they're safe to go home and then when you're talking to the patient and getting that like home setup information, like, do you live in a house? Do you live in an apartment? Do you have a flight of stairs? That's when patients tend to be a little bit more forthcoming about their living situation. So sometimes they don't even tell people that they're experiencing homelessness or housing insecurity or that the people that they're living with are violent. So I think that is, that is a time when we get a lot of, um, that information. Also, when you really ask patients about why they're falling, sometimes it's, I haven't eaten in four days. Sometimes it's because I, I don't ever sit down because I'm afraid I'll be assaulted if I fall asleep. So there are so many different components to that. And I think the number one thing is hearing what those specific safety concerns are. And one thing that I have learned like from my seat of enormous privilege is that most of these patients do not feel safe in shelters. Like I think so many of us are like, well, just go to a shelter. First of all, like 
they are not that accessible. They are full. Oftentimes there are incidences of unsafe things that happen there. Uh, another thing that I've learned is that if you have, for some shelters, durable medical equipment, if you have a wheelchair, you can be prioritized to get into the emergency or into the shelter over somebody who doesn't or a cane or a walker. And there's kind of a little hierarchy for admission into the shelter. So a lot of these patients are also experiencing theft of their equipment. So if they are, are lying on the ground trying to rest and they have a wheelchair, it's gone when they wake up. So they'll come back in needing a new wheelchair, but you know, due to insurance issues, like I can't just magically make that happen. So those are some common themes that I've found. Also patients who are on oxygen that don't have anywhere to like plug in to oxygen. It's, it's really a travesty of our healthcare system, the way that we're letting people fall through the cracks. And I'm not the person with the answer, but Sometimes the answer is as, as simple as the patient can't walk because their feet hurt. And it turns out that the shoes that they got from the shelter are like two sizes too small. And I can go to the, the closet and pull out new pairs of shoes. I can get somebody a new coat. And, and one of the things we do for our PT day of service project is get coats, hats, gloves, boots, like warm things that I can then provide some of those patients. And then we really collaborate significantly with our social work colleagues to, to try and get those patients resources and our social workers in the community. Um, but sometimes there's not a lot we can do. And, and in those cases, I do everything that I can do. I solve as many problems as I can. And hope for the best. Uh, yeah, that requires a lot of, requires a lot of compartmentalization. Yeah, I have one patient who his strategy is when it gets cold is he he saves up all his money from the, the warm months and then he lives in the casino. So he'll go stay in the casino and just if he has if he has a couple of coins to keep dropping in the machines, like they, they don't kick him out. So that's his strategy is that he just stays there when it's cold. It's pretty, pretty smart. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you got to do, do when when you're trying to survive. We do have um, um, two different shelters on our hospital campus, though, and that's been a tremendous resource. And our home health colleagues that are willing to go see those patients in those shelter environments. We also have some hotel vouchers we can use for some of those patients. But I think if you're not doing a social determinants of health screening in any setting, now is a really good time to start, especially if you're in the emergency department. Okay, I was going to ask if there is any particular program that a student or physical therapist can attend to gain better training or knowledge to become more proficient as a physical therapist in the acute care setting or the emergency department. So we're putting, we're starting to um, build that content so that we have that available for people. We have one uh, webinar available now about digital triage to help our outpatient and, and home health colleagues keep patients out of the emergency department because best case is that they don't have to come see us, right? So can we as physical therapists use telehealth to help leverage that and help decrease the, the overcrowding in our emergency departments. And then coming in the next week or so, we're going to have a course on 
um, evaluation and examination of the older adult patient in the emergency department so that we can make sure that we are evaluating those patients appropriately and optimally. And then we're going to have a two-day course coming up in the next uh, six months about how to start an emergency department PT program so that people who are interested in doing that can help facilitate that. And that will apply to urgent care centers as well. And as far as students go, we haven't yet had the chance to create any content, but we are reaching out to different PT programs across the country to provide lectures to DPT students. So we have several programs that are doing that already. We're, we're able to come in and give a lecture as part of their acute care content or as an elective or as a differential diagnosis content about physical therapist practice in the emergency department. And these have CU credits to go with it? Not yet. We're working on that. The, the difficulty with that is getting everything accredited in each state, as you know, is a difficult and costly process. So as a new startup business, we're not able to do that. We are making sure that all of our education has every component you would need to be accredited. So you can submit that to your state board for accreditation, but we're not able yet to offer that. Our two-day courses will be accredited, but our webinars okay. are not at this time. We also have a journal club that people can join for free if they'd like to. Awesome. Is there like a central database of the different PT, ED uh, programs throughout the country? Or like, is there, how, do, how does one find out if their local hospital uh, or urgent care has a PT on staff or, or a program? Yeah, so on Facebook, there's an EPT Facebook group, group for emergency physical therapy, and it has a like really great Google Doc of all the programs that we know about. So if you're listening to this podcast and you're like, I work in the ED and I have never heard of that, please go on to that Facebook group, add your information to the spreadsheet. We would love to be in contact with you. And there's also a specific group for students. So if you're, and that's the EPT student group. So if you're looking as a student for a clinical in this area, if you're looking to connect with other students, if you just want to hear some great cases studies and work through those with other students that's available too so you just go on facebook and look those up and click to join and that is a really great resource there will also be an ept emergency physical therapy conference i believe in october and you'll see more information on that on twitter and then you can find our continuing education and our journal club information on our website at the eddpt.com okay uh, you mentioned that you guys are basically a startup. So are you guys looking for investors for your program? Because as you said, obtaining CEU credits is costly. Yes. Uh, I know it's not cheap in California and New York and some of the big states. So are you guys actively seeking investors uh, for your program? We would love that. I am also hoping that of the three three different areas of our business are, are number one, making sure students know about this area. So speaking at different DPT programs. So any PT program out there that is like, we don't have this in our curriculum, please let me know. Happy to help. Second, consulting with different hospital systems so that we can start programs flawlessly and on target for you for the least amount of fuss and finance as possible so that we can get your health system up and going to provide this care to patients in your health system. And then third, providing continuing education for physical therapists who practice in this area so that we can prepare you to be the best at this as possible. So those are the different areas that we're working towards. I mean, I think investors are always welcome, right? 
and anybody who wants to to learn more about any of those things can absolutely contact us as well. Okay, and how can I find you guys, Rebecca? So you can find me on Twitter at the EDDPT, Facebook, Instagram, the same, and then the EDDPT.com. And if you're an EDPT and you're listening to this, I would also love to feature you. One of my goals is to make EDPT like not this novel thing, but this thing that everyone knows about. And so I'm trying to feature as many clinicians as possible. And you can find those interviews on our YouTube channel as well. So you can see all of these different people who are practicing in different ways across the country. Now, earlier when you guys started the, you mentioned when you started the the pilot program, one of the key measures was the productivity. Yes. Um, without obviously getting into the the nitty gritty of it, because it can it can get you down uh, a black hole pretty quickly. Yeah. <laughs> what what does the the finance part of it look like um, from both the ability to generate revenue? through billing and stuff like that. And then also as a clinician on the compensation, like, is there any different uh, compared to like the acute care department um, and those kinds of things? So based on what I've learned with talking with clinicians all over the country is that it's a little different and it's not, doesn't seem to be standardized at this time. So the way that we do it is all of our PT billing is outpatient PT billing. So it's an ambulatory care setting. So it's billed like an outpatient PT visit. From what we can tell from reviewing finances is that most payers are reimbursing for that. Some are, some aren't, um, but most are. And what we discovered in the pilot program is that we are at least making enough money to pay for ourselves. We didn't go into much more detail than that because it wasn't the motivation behind the program. Like, can we make money doing this? The emergency department as a whole really is not a money generator. Um, it, you know, if you think about all of the things that come in and out of the emergency department, it's really not usually a big money maker. So our, our concern was not, are we making money, but can we afford to stay? And we can. And the other thing is with productivity, like if you're evaluating patients all day, I mean, you're pretty productive because you're not just doing treatments. You're, you're really evaluating all day. So for people in the outpatient clinic who are like, gosh, I don't know if I would want to evaluate patients all day long that really like that treatment aspect, this is probably not the setting for you. Uh, so financially and from a productivity standpoint, it, it works out pretty well. But there are times that are unpredictable. And in those cases, we might float out to help in the acute care setting a little bit more. So there is some ebb and flow, but overall the trends are that we're very productive. And I think you asked about like, the PT, does the PT make more money in this setting? Yeah, I mean, is, is there any difference to... to like a differential like, or anything like that? I'm sorry? Like a differential? Uh, yes. Whether it be a differential or just a completely different pay scale, depending on how the you know mm -hmm. it's set up. Uh, because I know you mentioned there's a lot of crossover with the acute care team. Um, yeah, so, and, so and technically, most place people that I've spoken to are either still under the umbrella of their acute care rehab department, 
or their outpatient PT department. So they're still paid like an outpatient PT or paid like an inpatient PT, depending on whose cost center they're in. There are a couple of hospitals that are looking at bringing the physical therapist into the emergency department specifically. So it would be in their cost center, they would be their employee, they wouldn't be part of the rehab department at large. I have not really encountered anybody who's had a lot of success with that yet, but I'm interested to see where that goes. Because the benefits of that would be that you wouldn't necessarily be held to a productivity standard or have to float out. Like one thing that we ran into with some of our physicians was they wanted us just sitting there waiting like the respiratory therapist. The respiratory therapist is right there in case somebody needs to be intubated, right? So if you have somebody come in, you can't be like paging the respiratory therapist. Like, where are they? Like, they need to be right there. And that's how they felt about the physical therapist as well. We want you sitting here waiting for your next patient. And some programs run like that, but other hospitals cannot sustain that because they have productivity requirements or patient volumes in other areas. So some hospitals are looking at bringing those PTs into the emergency department so that they can direct that PT to sit and wait or to go cover in other areas. So it's it's kind of a tough balance, but most places are still in that, like under the rehab center model. Okay. And I guess then being under that umbrella obviously makes it easier for, as you said, just make enough money to cover your expenses or, or what it costs for you to spend that time there as opposed to to trying to, to make money because yes. you're still covered under this bigger umbrella that I'm sure is designed in different ways to help absorb some of this other um, expenses. Yeah, and I think the other interesting thing is when you think about the acute care setting, there's not another unit in your hospital that's actually revenue generating from a PT perspective because inpatient PTs really aren't billing. I mean, it's all rolled in, right? So Mm -hmm. as as a general rule, acute care PTs are not revenue generators. So it's unique in that emergency department physical therapists can be revenue generating PTs. I think another interesting thing about like the finances of it is there was a study done and that we had our journal club on last time about Medicare data and patients that had come into the emergency department for a fall related cause and they analyzed the, the, the payment data and patients who were billed a PT evaluation in the emergency department had less follow up fall related costs and less were less likely to come back into the emergency department. So I think that's one way that we can leverage that payer data, like who we're billing, what codes we're billing, how we're billing to figure out if that's making a difference. Yeah, that's great stuff. I mean, it's interesting that you mentioned that some of them will bill as an an outpatient uh, visit, so to speak, Mm -hmm. because, you know, as a patient, if I'm coming in to the ER, you know, knowing my, my personal health insurance, I know that I am responsible for X amount of dollars if I go into an ER visit. But if I go into an ER visit and I see the doctor, the doctor says, hey, I think the best person for you right now is the physical therapist. You come in and bill your, your visit. You know, have you guys run into issues where you know, they got a, a ER bill, whatever that responsibility is, plus, you know, the outpatient 
you understand where I'm going with it? Like, yeah, no, I do. And in the last six years, we've only had one person uh, complain about it hmm. that I'm aware of. Yeah. One that was like escalated, and they they wanted it off their bill, which is interesting. And somebody somebody said like to me, "Don't you think that's a lot of money that's being built to that patient for this service?" And I'm like, "Well, how much are you how much are you billing them to walk in there for five minutes and, and tell them that their labs are normal?" Like. I mean, I was with them for 90 minutes. I don't, you know, I kind of feel like it's a good deal. Um, and then someone else said that they felt like that patient didn't necessarily give consent to see the physical therapist. And, and like, like if you were walking into an outpatient PT clinic, obviously you're agreeing to the plan, you're walking in there with the intention of seeing a physical therapist. But the last time I went to the emergency department, I didn't really have the intention of getting a CAT scan, right? Like, you know, you go in there to get help and you usually take the help in the way that's best recommended and sometimes that's physical therapy and i do think that seeing a physical therapist in the emergency department is cheaper than getting an mri it's cheaper than getting a ct scan and it's cheaper than getting a medication that maybe doesn't serve you that leads to more healthcare dollars down the road so i think that it's worth the cost and I'm, i'm happy to have that conversation with the patients if that comes up and i think in this particular case, kind of looking back through the notes, like this patient was kind of dissatisfied with their visit overall. And it had been well documented in the PT note, actually, that the patient was not happy about seeing the physical therapist. So I, I think it's it's interesting to see, but I would I would say that our patient satisfaction data would indicate that it's a valuable service despite the cost. Um, cost over value, right? Absolutely. Uh, sometimes it works that way, but with us going into a recession and I know for me, if I have to go to outpatient PT, it's considered a specialty. I have to pay a copy. And I think I have a pretty good insurance plan and my copy for a specialty thing is, is $40 per visit. So if you guys are billing on an outpatient, um, basis, someone who has maybe Medicare part a thinking that, Hey, if I go to the hospital, it's my free. Medicare is going to yeah. take care of this bill because it's free. But, but then the yeah. doctor says, the doctor says, Hey, you had a fall. Maybe you need screen, an evaluation from the PT. And they get a bill saying, Oh, you owe this because your supplemental insurance didn't pick it up. And they're going to be like, what the hell? I felt like I was duped. So everybody's nickel and diming now. So that could be an issue. So do you guys explain to them that there's a possibility that they're going to receive um, a bill maybe for a co-payment or deductible or anything like that? I There is somebody that does that as part of the registration, maybe not PT specific, but they do talk to them about surprise billing. They talk to them about like that this is Medicare Part B. They have people sign ABNs when it's necessary. Uh, things like that. Uh, but I, I would tell you, like, most of the people who are in the emergency department are not thinking about that. They're not in that headspace. They're not like, oh, my gosh, this is going to cost me so much money. They're, they're in the like, please, please help me. Like, I don't care how much it costs. I need help. And if I can take away that ridiculous low back pain and that patient can stand up and walk out or I can fix that BPPV, they do not care. They are thrilled. They are like feel amazing. 
you know, if I was told, my, my big claim to fame is that I was told I was better than Dilaudid. So I'm going to get like a chest tattoo that says that. <laughs> or like when you do that flea maneuver and people are like, that's witchcraft. And you're like, yes have the magic hands and you feel like you can really fix them people are not used to that in the emergency department they're not really used to feeling better how many times do you hear people say i went to the emergency department and they did nothing for me i went there and they didn't do anything and i got this huge bill my hope is that when they see a physical therapist they're like i saw a physical therapist and they changed the trajectory of this outcome for me they made me better they made me feel better. They made me feel like a person. Like I, I've gotten these comments on these patient satisfaction surveys that even when I feel like I didn't do anything, like, oh my gosh, like I did the best I could, but I didn't make this any better. Like I feel terrible. And, and patients will write, the physical therapist made me feel like I mattered. The physical therapist cared about me. The physical therapist listened to me. The physical therapist touched me and examined me thoroughly. The physical therapist gave me some really good ideas this visit improved my quality of life. That is worth the value, which I think is why we haven't had a lot of complaints. But you're so, preaching uh, fire because I have a $6,000 deductible. So when I need to see a physical therapist, I pay cash because that's my only choice, you know? So I totally get it. <laughs> and for our patients who can't pay at all, I'm thrilled to be there to be able to provide that to them because I don't think physical therapy should be a luxury. And this may be the uh, one and only time these patients see a physical therapist in their whole life. They may not even know that we no, exist and we're out there. Uh, that's uh, very true. Um, now, my next question is going to be directed to helping to reduce the incident of the opioid uh, mm -hmm. crisis. Mm -hmm. Because um, I have done some acute care back in the day um, before I started home care. And what was being said by some providers is that, or oh, this person is going to keep coming in because they're, they're pill hopping. They're going from emergency department to emergency department to make sure they get uh, narcotics. Um, so if someone has the low back pain, um, acute back pain, and instead of prescribing the dilaudid or the um, oxycodone, and they said, go see a physical therapist. Um, have you guys actually seen uh, increase in patient satisfaction getting the physical therapy versus getting the medication? Or is that a question even asked um, to patients receiving care for physical therapy in the emergency room? So our hospital does not provide a lot of opioids. And we've seen that change in the six years that I've worked there. Like the amount of things that have been prescribed has, has changed and the type of things that are being prescribed has changed. We are also a center where patients who are addicted to opioids can come in for treatment in the emergency department, especially when other centers are closed. So we are definitely trying to combat that. There are also things now in the, in the medical record um, where you can see everything a patient has gotten from a pharmacy in Colorado so that you know what patients are taking, if they were prescribed something, like how long should it have lasted? Like, where are they on this pain journey? And we do make a lot of referrals to pain management specialists. But sometimes when patients aren't offered an opioid, they're offered other different analgesics and they're offered physical therapy. And I have had patients who, who refuse physical therapy. And that's 
totally their choice. They Sometimes they haven't had a good experience with a PT in the past. Sometimes they feel like the PT was part of the problem. Um, others are very receptive and willing to try anything. And those are the patients that I want to make the biggest difference with because if I can show them that they can, in partnership with a physical therapist, use their body to heal itself and to see hope at the end of that pain tunnel, that is so worthwhile in making a difference into follow-up rates, decreasing bounce back to the emergency department, and helping patients understand that it's safe and okay for them to move, and that like an opioid isn't going to fix that problem. Because I think particularly patients who are opioid naive don't understand that it's it's not going to fix it. It won't take that back pain away. It just kind of makes you care a little bit less about it, right? It doesn't actually fix the problem. So being able to have those long conversations to educate patients about why opioids aren't being used and, and how these other techniques can help them gives them hope and a plan. And one of my favorite things about being a physical therapist is being a hope bringer being that person that shows them that their their pain will get better, that their function will get better, that that there there is hope. And so this is this is one of those situations where if I can take that patient who comes in face down on a gurney screaming because they have back pain and help them make it out the door walking comfortably in conjunction with maybe, you know, Tylenol from the physician, like that's a good day. That is so satisfying to me. If it takes two hours, it takes two hours. But if I can get that patient up and going and ready to take those next steps towards physical therapy or getting back to work or whatever it is, I like to think that that's time well spent, even though it doesn't, it's not always the right choice for a patient and it's not always the answer people want to hear. But I found that people really have an experience of us as caring for them even if we can't provide medications. And sometimes that's also an out, right? Like they'll say, well, I need something stronger for my pain. And I can, I can truthfully say, I don't prescribe medications. So I can't help you with that. And, and I can have you talk to these people about that. But why don't you and I see what we can do together aside from that? And people are generally very receptive to that. That's awesome. I mean, I, I was getting, you know, in, in getting ready to wrap uh, this up, I was just about to ask you, like, what is the best thing that being a, a PT in the emergency department is? And, and I think you just answered it, you know, yeah. before, before me even getting the opportunity to ask you, like, I, you can tell that you're passionate about this area of practice, right? And, and I know you mentioned before, it's not necessarily new, unheard of, or not, not been shared enough yeah. to know that, that it exists. Um, yes. and, and hopefully uh, through this podcast and through all the other awesome work that you're doing, we can continue to, to spread that word because, you know, aside from meeting you and interacting with you on Twitter, I had no clue. You know, I'm going to go sign up on that Facebook group because I want to know if there's any hospitals uh, local to me that that have these programs because you got me thinking um, of like man this is something very cool something that as you've described can be very helpful um, to individuals uh, especially those individuals that don't normally have access to a physical therapist for many different reasons um, 
So with all that said, thank you very much. Really appreciate your time. A wealth of knowledge, I think, was was spread uh, in tonight's episode. A lot of stuff that I was unaware of um, that I'm sure, again, a lot of, of, of our audience members probably didn't know. And I know we have students that watch. Um, guys, please follow all the the good bits of information that she gave, because I think this is a very unique area of practice and one that I think is going to grow as we progress through things. You know, like you mentioned, uh, the emergency room increasingly becomes a primary care type uh, facility at times for, for many different reasons. And, and if we can be the, those first frontline uh, responders to help the individuals, I, I think we could really make a lasting impact and something that can help elevate the profession. Um, 100%. Right provider, so again, right time in a critical absolutely. moment. Absolutely. So again, thank you very much. Really appreciate your time. Uh, and uh, we look forward to, to following you and, and seeing the awesome things that, that you've got going on because it sounds like you're just getting started. Um, I hope and, so. And that's pretty cool. Thank you guys so much. I really enjoyed it. All right. Thanks, Rebecca. Good night, guys. Don't forget to subscribe. Thank you.